the IMDb Journey podcast where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, the richest man in podcasting. <laughs> and I'm Dean Jeffrey and oh, I think I just got my wings. And today I'll be breaking down the 1946 Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Dean, how are you mate? <laughs> <laughs> not bad, not bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, very good. Us, us poor retail workers oh, leading up boy. to Christmas. We've just had a 20 minute discussion about how, how hard life is for <laughs> us. I'm like, alright, come on, let's talk about It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> God damn it, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> very uplifting to come into. Ah, uh, yeah. Retail life around Christmas is, is ridiculous. It's non-stop. Uh, yeah, it is. But we soldier on, we, we push into Something we love doing, podcasting, of course. That's it. That's it. That's what it's all about. That's right. Actually, on the way home from work tonight, I nearly hit two kangaroos. Really? Yes. So I'm driving and I'm driving down this section that is very windy and hilly. Actually, for all the non-Australians out there, this isn't a regular thing. We don't just go hitting kangaroos oh, no. on the road. <laughs> it's really not. But this this area that I drive through is known for a lot of kangaroos. Yeah. And I'm driving and there they were, middle of the road. These are these big bastards, right? They're just, they're just in the middle. Yeah. And I drive up and I stop behind them. I'm like, what do I do? And, I'm, and they're not moving. So I thought, all right, I'll try and go around. So I go to go around and they jump, jump in front of me. Ooh. I said, okay. Again, the same thing. They just sit there. Yeah. So I go the other way. They jump in front of me. I was like, this is ridiculous. I had to sit there for about two minutes, which might not sound like a long time, but when you're sitting there watching stationary kangaroos, it is. Finally, they start hopping forward down the road. They didn't even hop off the road. <laughs> so I'm driving with behind you. these I'm with driving you. by these two kangaroos. Finally they jump through a driveway and I was like, oh quickly go now. Yeah, I mean I did. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh jeez. I haven't driven past a kangaroo in a very long time. Haven't had any incidences like that like you've had. A couple of months ago I did nearly hit one. I turned a corner and it was right there wow. and I, the brakes like I didn't skid but I hit them hard and Again, it just sat there. You just got to wait. Do you take these roads often? Every day. Wow. Every day to and from work, I go through this road. And honestly, my first week of when I started at this new place, everyone said to me, be careful on the roads. There are kangaroos. And you drive at at nighttime and like very early in the morning as well, don't you? Yeah, it's dark. dark. It's, it's, you know, like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. So, wow. Dangerous. And, And the problem is now that I'm comfortable with these windy roads... Instead of doing, you know, the speed limit of 80, <laughs> which I'll have you know is fast for these roads. Yes. I hit 95, and if there's a kangaroo, <laughs> like, what do you do? I'm not going to drive 60 for the one or two times I'll see a kangaroo. You just got to go and hope to react quick enough. That's living in Australia for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough about me, Hendo. What are we doing today? Well, after our breakdown of It's a Wonderful Life, we'll be looking at some of the answers that you, the listeners, gave to our question of the week, which is, what is your favourite movie about Christmas? Mm. That is also our top five as usual. We'll find out the results of last week's Pod v Pod 11 against Ghosts of the Stratosphere, and we'll also take a look at the grand final in our 1940s film tournament. And then we'll be finding out what we'll be watching next time, which, as we alluded to, is a bit different now. We're going to be picking. Oh, wait, scratch that. I will be picking. (laughs) Yeah, so in in our run, I did pick Once Upon a Time in America early on, which if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favourite episodes that we've done. So as such, it's Hendo's turn to have a pick. Yes. And after this, we will be picking, taking it in turns, as we've mentioned before, every time now. Yes, and I have got a movie in mind. It's going to be it's going to be fun to get your reaction to it. Here we go. <laughs> Give me the update. 
Alright, Hendo, what's been going on on the IMDb Top 250 list? This is a pretty short update. There's not, there really wasn't much changes at all. However, we have a new debut. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. No surprises there. Where is it? It has debuted at number 43. Okay. Yeah. She's high. It is. It's high. We've both seen it, haven't we? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Which we'll be giving our reviews of next week. Yep, absolutely. But for now, this is a 43, and as usual, this these films tend to drop a little bit. We've seen some debut in, and then the next week they're out. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen with this one. We could see it probably lower down to maybe like the, the 100, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look at some others here. Bohemian Rhapsody has dropped a little bit from 124 to 130. They're still maintaining that area. So you reckon it'll stay? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's like... That's incredible. It's been out for a I while. I still have yeah. not seen it. No, me neither. Uh, we also see that Blade Runner 2049 is into the danger zone now from 235 to 240, as is La La Land, 236 to 242. What? These two films have been gradually dropping over the last oh, month or two. Oh, no. <laughs> this could, we could have our first breakdown film drop out of the top 250. That's fine. We got it. We did it. <laughs> um, okay. As long as we got to it before it went. And as we take a look right down to the bottom here, in the list now is Suarez and Winter Sleep. And out of the list are three films, Three Colors Red, The Bourne Ultimatum, and Gangs of Wasapa. I didn't realize The Bourne Ultimatum was in there. Not anymore. I realize not anymore. <laughs> I didn't realize it was previously. Oh, well. Okay. Maybe it'll come back in another time. Maybe. Just quickly, in case you haven't seen a movie that is almost 100 years old, we will be spoiling it from the get-go, so you've been warned. Almost 100 years. Well, it's what? Like, it's like 80 years. In 20 years, it'll in be In 20 years, it'll be 100 years. Years. <laughs> So, yeah, get ready for it. Closer to 100 <laughs> than zero. That's true. That's true. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break here, give you a couple of promos from some amazing podcasts out there, and we'll be back on the other side with It's a Wonderful Life. Hi, this is Drew Martin. And I'm Roy King. And we're part of a weekly movie podcast called Coming Off the Reels, where we discuss everything from the newest releases to our childhood favorites. We'll also break down specific years, directors, actors, and genres. We may not always stay on topic, we rarely do, but we always circle back to our love of movies. You can learn more about us on our website, comingofftherels.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere else your podcasts like to hide. And follow us on Twitter, at Off The Reels, for weekly battle polls, movie haikus, and a whole lot more. So if you're looking for a new movie podcast, and I know you are, give us a try. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, it's wonderful news, for when all these wonderful people get into the swim, it's a wonderful life. For never before has any film contained such a full measure of the joy of living, the drama of living, and above all, the glorious romance that makes this such a wonderful life. So, It's a Wonderful Life, released in 1946, starring James Stewart, 
Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, and Henry Travers. Directed by Frank Capra. Famous director. Yes. He did Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. A film that we will be heading towards on our journey here. Hopefully towards the end of it. Really? I don't. I, f- I feel like I watched it maybe last year and it was pretty boring. I, I know I watched it a couple, maybe a couple of years ago and I quite liked it. Okay. We'll see what's changed when we do breakdown number 250. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he also directed It Happened One Night. Ah, the other Big Five winner that we mentioned on the Sons of Land podcast. Yes. Oh, so he's clearly a Best Director winner. He is. <laughs> well, speaking of this film, it was nominated for five Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Director, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. Lost all of them. Yes, it did. Unlucky. Do you know what it lost to that year for Best Picture? Without looking at IMDb. Was it the best years of our lives? <laughs> yes. How did you know that? Because... In doing my little research here, I saw that it actually was a flop at the box office. And one of the reasons that was brought forward is because it was released one week after, what is this movie called? The Best Years of Our Lives. That film is on the top 250. Oh, is it? Why are you so deflated? You don't even know what it is. What it's it is in about. the 40s. Come on. So is this? Yes. But yeah. this is extraordinarily famous and well-known. Better than the best picture winner of that year? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I hope not. You didn't know about it. I've heard of it. Uh, Do you you like it? Ah! (laughs) Silence. (laughs) As I expected. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, you did say it was a flop. It did have a budget of about $3.1 and only grossed about $7 in the US, which is quite a flop. But it made money. But not enough to warrant it. That's the budget for the movie. You take into consideration promotional stuff. It doubled its budget. That's... uh... In its initial release, it only grossed 3.3. This is, like, extended. Oh, okay. Yep. So, yeah, like you said, not... Yeah, I think think that's the key takeaway. Initial release, it grossed 3.3. Yeah, not a big success there at all. No. However, this was ranked as the number one most inspirational movie of all time by the AFI in 2006. I saw that. Yep. I mean, I can't argue with that. I mean, I'm not saying it is, but I can understand why it could be. Yeah, me too. And with an average of 8.6 over 342,000 ratings, it is currently sitting on the list at number 24. 24. <laughs> yes, 24. Remarkably high. Very high. I actually believe that Silence of the Lands was 23. Was it really? Yeah. I think we've gone to 23, 24 here. Well, there you go. Maybe we should just start at one and work our way down. Well, why don't we just go to 25? What, you just want to start at 23? Well, I guess we already have, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> we did not mean to, though. So number 25 is actually Life is Beautiful. That seems a little uh, ironic since how 24 and now 25, it's a wonderful life and life is beautiful. Yeah. Very different movies, though. Of course. Yeah, much different. <laughs> All right, Dean, time for a synopsis of the film. Okay. Go, go for it. An angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been like if he had never existed. Nice. Where'd you get that from? IMDb. Of course. <laughs> wow. Well, certainly fitting. Oh, Absolutely. Okay, Dean, let's get into it. Title cards. Yeah, they're I back. I didn't even bother because I knew <laughs> if I talked about them, you would suck at me for it. Why? Last time I mentioned it, you're like, are you going to complain every time we have title cards? When was the last time we did a title cards movie? Was it Cool Hand Luke? Was there title cards there? I, I don't know. No, there wasn't. No? No, it just started up with um, Violation. Violation. Oh, that's right. I think the last one we did was actually Some Like It Hot. That was a while ago now. It was. Mm. But they're back. They are back. Still the same for you? I mean, these were pretty quick. Yeah. These felt quicker than normal. 
Yeah, but they're, like you said, they're over pretty quickly, and we start getting voiceovers of people praying for George Bailey. Yeah, we get these stupid sort of pans up to, like, galaxies talking. That's the angels. Yeah. Do you not like that? No. Why? Because it was silly. Like, why are the angels represented as glowing universes? What do you want them to be? Well, they're, they're people. They're angels. Yeah. They I take, it, I they take I, a human I form. It. I didn't mind it because they're oh, up in the heavens. so stupid. And you have, like, the big stars as, like, the big, like, big angels, the ones in charge. And you get little Clarence comes along. This tiny little speck comes along. I thought it was nice. Okay. But I like how we didn't get the voiceovers of people praying for George Bailey because it sets the story up very quickly and very well. You know immediately that this George guy is in trouble. Yeah, you do. But, like, like is this meant to be heaven? These angels talking, is that heaven? It can be what it, it can be whatever you want it to be, Dean. I don't know. I just yeah. I just thought they could have had found a better way to do this or just leave it out entirely. You need to ha- how how are they, they going to leave this out entirely? They need to have the story of these angels telling Clarence, "You need to save George to get your wings." What do you want them to do? They could have just started when he was a kid. You need what you're just going, "Oh, here's the kid and what just over these people talking over and you're like, "Who the hell are these people talking?" Well, yes. No, I, I didn't like the flashing planet lights. What would you rather have? But them I don't stand, know. Like these actual know. people standing in the clouds, going yes. with, their, with their wings already. Like, oh, yes. Clarence, yes. come here. They talk about wings a lot. You know, Why this, not? Is, this was done in 1946, right? Probably not not able to do that right oh, now. Sorry, yeah, they were restricted to flashing universes. What was wrong with that? They're up in the skies, up in the heavens, as you say. Yeah. I thought it was fine. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you're taking this a bit too too much here. I think taking you need, it too yeah, much. I think you, I did not think this was a massive negative. It's just I've it said I thought sounds it was, like it. I've, no, I've said I thought it was a bit stupid, and you've jumped down my throat like I'm. It's bloody sacrilege. What, what else is new? Like it's just <laughs> you're being ridiculous. <laughs> you are. <laughs> good one. <laughs> good, good, good comeback. You are. You are. All right. So we get to the point that you thought they should start off on the flashback to George's life here. Yeah, he's twelve. Yes. And he saves his brother's life here. What do you think of him uh, going down on the shovels into the 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 frozen ice lake? I don't think you'd see kids doing that these days. Well, no, but you don't see kids doing a lot of things these days. Yeah, exactly. But- I, didn't, I, I didn't mean that as a negative. I was just saying that's what it was like back in the day. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, dear. It's going to be one of those nights, is it? Yes, it is. All right. Uh, no, I liked it. I liked it that... Because it, it sets him up straight away. Like, I know he's only a boy, but he jumps in, he saves a life, and, spoiler alert, this comes back later, and I'd forgotten about it entirely, and I did like the callback to this coming back. So, seeing it here, thought it was good. It was memorable enough for me that when they mentioned it later, I could remember it, but it wasn't, like, overbearing or anything. Just uh, throwing it out there to the generalization of this sort of stuff, most of the stuff you see throughout the, the story of George does end up coming back yep. in the this is what would have happened uh, timeline. Yep. Do you think this is the one that stood out the most to you? or Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah? What do you, what do you think about all the other callbacks that we had along the way here? Some of them were very forgettable. Really? Yeah, for me. Can you, like, which ones, for example? Oh, um, okay. I'm glad you asked. The old boss, or the boss when he's a kid, who he stops from poisoning someone. Really? That I, I had not remembered that at all. And when I was watching it, I, like, I was aware. I, I thought to myself... Okay, I must have seen this. They must have shown it. I just did not remember it. So by the time you got to the end, you had forgotten about the, that that part of the story that he po- accidentally put poison in these medicine capsules. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But going back to this flashback of them at the ice lake, we find out that he actually does lose hearing in one of his ears when he does save his brother's life. And as you hear the voiceovers of these angels talking, that you know they let us know that this is going to be an important thing we need to know in the future. 
we know exactly what to pay attention to here and we can fully appreciate the story as it goes along here. Yeah, I mean, they do tell us sort of what to look out for and, I don't know, did it feel a bit ham-fisted to you? Not necessarily. Like, I where's, I didn't, where's the respect for the audience, you know? They're telling the story as we go along. Like, what if they don't say anything about his losing his hearing? Or they just quickly, oh, lost his hearing, moving on. It's something that needs to, something, like you said, when he f- goes into the alternate timeline, he the first thing that happens to him is he gets his hearing back in his ear. I mean, and is even this, is this the, the, film, big, the big use of it? Like, where else does the hearing play a big part? When young Mary whispers in his ear, coming up, it's the reason why he doesn't go to war. There you go. There. That That's the big reason. Okay, okay. Cool. That is why he doesn't go to war. Yep. And which is obviously very, very important. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. No, fair enough then. So we get young George here again working at the, is it the ice cream parlor? Is it a pharmacy? Like his- <laughs> I mean, I feel like those two aren't related. Well, he's making ice cream for the girls and they got the and boss- And he's drugging who's, these kids. The, the druggist. I think that's what, they, what he was- no, He's got- I don't know. But it looks like it's a combination. Maybe ice cream parlors were- Pharmacies. I don't know. There's lollies Maybe there as well. Maybe ice cream parlors were pharmacies. I don't know. He's making it was medicine for children and he's making ice it cream. It wasn't the year 40. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty poor. Come on. Do they have ice cream in 40? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't think so. I, I, I mean, just... how would they keep it cold? <laughs> what? Do they have fridges? And Do they have fridges in year 40? <laughs> That's probably the dumbest thing you've ever said on this Did they podcast. Have fridges in 1940. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's oh. that's awesome. Okay, oh, I gotta love those classic 40s fridges. <laughs> oh, okay, but we do get our first mention here of Henry Potter, the most villainous villain there was in this here film, the richest and meanest in the county. Ooh. Where's the dum-dum-dum? What a bad man this guy is. What struck me most is, George is 12 here. Yes. He's, Potter is an old man already. <laughs> what? Okay. George gets old into, what, he's, he's about 40 by the end of it. Mid-30s, yeah. 38. Um, I could easily see Potter being about 60 here, and then he's 80 in at the end. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, okay. I guess by the end of his he's wheelchair-bound, isn't he? Isn't he wheelchair-bound in the middle as well? Is he? I don't know. I've never seen him get up. Maybe he's just lazy. Maybe he's crippled. Maybe. Maybe that's why he's so bitter. Maybe if we looked at his origin story, we would have a bit more sympathy for him. I don't think so. He's not terrible. What? He's okay. What? I don't think he's that bad. What redeeming quality does this guy show? He offers George the life, the chance to be a bloody, the equivalent of a millionaire. So he can get his business. He's trying to push him out. By raining down money on him. Now, you think about the quality of life George could, could have go. experienced had he taken this job offer. It's it's outrageously good. Yeah, and he doesn't because he doesn't want to basically sell out every other person in the town. But he can help them with all this money. <laughs> that's actually that's, that's an okay point. That's uh, That was my one of my biggest problems with this film is he, does, he says no to this offer where this offer had him going from... Yeah, what was it? Forty dollars a week, forty-five dollars a week to earning the equivalent of half a million dollars, basically. No, it's about two hundred, three hundred and thirty-seven. But I just think you could do that, and you could help these other people. Okay, so if this loan man is on forty dollars a week, like what are the other people on? The loan, the people who are getting loans. You see, they're talking about oh, now he's getting a house of five thousand dollars. These sort of houses back in that the way. 
in the currency exchange back then, $5,000 for a house, he's getting 20000 a year. What's he going to do? Help four people and then be broke? Well, no, you don't have to give everyone a house, but you can help them. You're going too far to the extreme. You, know, you don't say to someone, oh, can you help You know, give some charity, buy them a whole house? No, you help them. You don't Not give them everything. George Bailey. Well, he doesn't give them all houses. He helps them and gives them cheap deals. I can see your point. I can definitely see your point. So you say you don't remember this medicine capsule. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a very memorable scene. This is very close to being one of my, one of my favorite scenes. Really? This whole interaction here, like when you, you see that Mr. Gower's son has died from uh, flu. I'm glad they did show that because I thought before we find this out, what a miserable prick yes, this I, guy is. Yeah. Like, cheer up, mate. Come on. Yeah. But you obviously see his reasoning for why he acts like yeah. that. And then when George sees the letter and he goes in to see if he's okay, you know, you're all right. And he's like, he's so out of it. Yeah. And he notices that he's accidentally put poison in this medicine. And Gail was telling him, I need to take, I need you to take this medicine to this kid. Can you refresh my memory? Why did he have poison there? It's a pharmacy. I don't know. Maybe there's a rat around. I don't know. Pharmacy? He's making medicine for children. Hold on. He had poison there because it's a pharmacy. You're telling me, if I walk into a chemist these days, there'll be bottles no, of poison. these days. Do not give anyone these bottles. They did a lot of things different back <laughs> this then. This is instant death, <laughs> but we'll just leave them aside. <laughs> Please don't mix these up with any. You don't know. What Otherwise, 40s, it's fine. You don't know what forties pharmacies <laughs> you don't, were. You don't know. Maybe they maybe they incorporated that from pharmacies in forty. <laughs> really? <laughs> so when you do a forty joke, <laughs> yeah, the first time it was great, but when you try and springboard off my original funny joke, it's just sad. Okay, you're embarrassing oh, yourself. Dear. But we see that George, he doesn't know what to do here. Like, he, he doesn't want to let Gowers down, but he also doesn't want to go kill this kid. So he goes to see his dad. And sure enough, his dad is running this business and loan business. Business and loan? Is that yeah. What it is? Yeah, cool. And he's meeting with Potter. And of course, Potter is a grumpy old shit. And George calls him out on it. He's right in his face. Yeah. It definitely shows how George is going to react to him every single time coming into the future. I mean, George is just the purest man ever, isn't he? Yes, he is. To a point, obviously. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Um, he does turn to the dark side very clearly later on, but he's, he has fantastic morals. The parents have done a bang up job. But then when he gets back to this pharmacy, <laughs> I keep calling it a pharmacy. Apothecarist. Apothecary? Apothecary. Apothecary. Yes. <laughs> this apothecary. Apothecary? No, I said it right. What was it? Apothecary. Apothecary. Yeah. This apothecary. No. <laughs> English Say it much? again. English much? Say it again. Apothecary. Apothecary. Yes, you said it right. Then this you changed apothecary. it. Apothecary. Yes. This apothecary. <laughs> what is wrong with you? This apothecary. That's right. This apothecary. Okay. So, yeah, George does get back to work and he sees that Gowers has got a phone call from the mum saying, yep. where's the- we're basically saying, where's the medicine? Yeah. And when he realizes that George hasn't given the medicine, he starts smacking him around. But George is obviously doing it to, to protect Gowers because he tells him, like, Don't you know that boy's been sick? <laughs> Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're on it. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. And they, like, after he realizes what he's done to him, they, like, he's sorry and he embraces, but you see, like, he's he's still reluctant to him. He's like, no, no, like, don't hit me again because he doesn't doesn't know how he's going to come at him again. Because he's crazy. He's so vicious to him. 
I'm pretty sure this is what back in the 30s era like that, bosses, that is how they would handle the young workers. Seriously, like if they'd done so like, it's like with teachers back then, they would like, they would get the rule and they would smack their arms and smack the their cane, hands. Yeah. Exactly. So if it's the equivalent of a boss and the fact that this boss who's just lost his son is just way out of it and then hears that George went to take this medicine and he didn't do it, he's going to, he's going to get a little aggressive with him. But then he realizes he's helping him. He understands what he's going through. Mm. And he, you know, he's very apologetic and sympathetic and they both, you know, hug. And it's, it's a really, it's actually a really touching moment. I really, I really like the scene. Very good. I did read actually that according to the, the actor who played the young George, H.B. Warner, who plays Gal, was actually drunk during that scene and actually hit him. Oh, that, what? The blood was actually from his ear. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. But again, like basically the movie imi- like imitating life, he he didn't realize what he'd done, and they actually he did comfort and say sorry to him afterwards. Oh God, should have been fired. We did mention how George went to visit his dad, Mister Bailey, and Mister Potter. I did like Mister Bailey is my father's name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I do like how there is a stark contrast between Mister Potter and Mister Bailey here, and the way they both look at the situations everyone's going through in the life at that point. Mr. Bailey is very caring and understanding at the rough times everyone's facing, while Mr. Potter is basically uh, who cares about everyone. So fast forward in time here, and this is where we have Jimmy Stewart first appear. As a young George Bailey still, he plays a 21-year-old up to like a 39-year-old in this film. He plays it well. Like You can see the differences in his age as he goes along. I was very impressed with their de-aging abilities. Because he, honestly, I was like, wow, when did this film come out? He looks insanely young here. Like, he really did convincingly look young for me. I'm not sure if this came out before Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Maybe it's after. Even if it is after, in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, he looks very young in that. So, if he's... Yeah, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington came out in 39. So, it is a bit... Seven, yeah, seven yeah. years prior to that. So, so you're saying that they've done the job of making him look younger as opposed to making him look older in his older point. Yeah, I think so. I think they... I mean, they would have added the greys. Did you watch the colorized version? Did I watch the colorized version? Yeah. No. Oh, really? I watched the color version of this film. What? Yeah. Why? It's what I had. I couldn't imagine watching the color version of this. this really? Is- I was trying to remember when I watched it if the first time I watched it, I watched the colorized or the black and white one. No, I couldn't imagine watching the color version of this film. Why? I mean, it's just like the normal version, except it's colorized. They did a really good job. No, uh, I think this one's intended to be in black and white, so watch it in its original form. Yeah. So as we said, they have fast-forwarded in time here to George. He's you know roughly about 20 years old here. I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like this would have been a pretty unique thing that this film is doing for the time, with like this freeze frames with the voiceover. I don't, I don't think I would have seen many films doing that in the mid-40s. I mean, I think you're just guessing. How many films in the 40s have you actually seen? 40? It wouldn't be many. You, you can't say, oh, I think... Like, you just don't know. Can you remember the, the most earliest film that would have incorporated something like this? Like, moving forward in time, freeze-framing, talking over the frames... Well, Citizen Kane? When was that? About this time. I think it's actually... I don't know. I, I don't know if this was done before it. Citizen Kane was 1941. But do they do that in that film? Yes, they do. They do freeze frames and talking over that. Exactly like this. And <laughs> and I I know it's true because I've seen the colorized version of that as well. We'll get to that when we do Citizen Kane. We'll come back to this audio clip here and see, <laughs> and see what you say then. So you can see George is like, he's so into his travel. He wants to travel around. 
He's, he does not want to stay in this town. He wants to get out and do something. He wants to go to college. He wants to become an architect, pretty much. He want, you know, he wants to build things. I want to go and build things. He's got a lot of dreams and aspirations and the desires here. Yeah, even in virtually the next scene, when he's sitting down at the table talking to his old man, he says, you know, he doesn't want to spend the rest of his days in a shabby office and insults a dad. Fair enough. That's yeah. a pretty mean thing to say. But I think it does show how much he hates his life that his dad has. Yep. Because this is everything that he wants to break free from, everything he wants to rebel from. And this isn't a rebellious character. This is just someone who is very pure, very good to his core, but he wants to do something different. He wants that adventure, and that, that drives his this entire story. What do you think of the dad somewhat pressuring George into doing the family business? I mean, I don't want to say it's like The Godfather, but... It's definitely not like the Godfather. There's similarities, you know. Because he's he doesn't want to get over into the, the family, family business. business. <laughs> <laughs> and look where he ends up. Before we see them at the Bailey house, we've got a couple of bits here. Did you notice the cop and the taxi driver? Yes. Bert and Ernie? Yes. What the hell? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is where Bert and Ernie came from, from Sesame Street. How are you pretty sure? I mean, it's yeah, it's almost too much of a coincidence for it not to be. Yeah, because I, I saw it, Bert and I'm like, what? No way. <laughs> is that a coincidence? We also get uh, Violet walking past, the other young girl from the, the ice cream parlor. And there's this, you get that classic, oh, everyone's got to stare at her. And that little gag where the guy crosses the road and almost gets run over because he's too busy staring at her. Yeah, I mean, I, I my initial reaction, honestly, was this was a sign of the times, you know, this open open sort of, uh, you know, like wolf whistling yeah, and yeah, cackling yeah. over this girl. And I think that, you know, 70, 80 years later, this still happens, but it's the reaction of the girl to it that has changed. Yes. So back then, <laughs> this is this is what she wants. Exactly. You know? and this is, she this wants is the this character. attention. This is... This is her at her most prominent, her most luscious and vibrant, getting the cackles from strangers on the street. You did that now. Oh, yeah, you're done. <laughs> but you even get that set up with her when she's a young girl as well, when she talks about, oh, I like George, and, and Mary's like, you're like every boy. She's like, what's wrong with that? It's like, okay, you know where yeah. this is where this character's going yeah. in the future. So we're back at the Bailey house. We see George wants to get out of there, and he goes to Harry's party. What, is it prom? I don't know if it's a prom. I think it's... Jeez, I thought it was like... Oh. It's at the school. It's not Harry's party. But they're not at school, They're at they? the school. They're, they're in not, the but gym. They're not, but they're not in school, are they? Well, it's not during the day. But I thought is, it was is, a school is event. Is George still attending school? Is Harry... Maybe, no. ha- maybe Harry is attending Harry's school. Harry's at school. Yeah. George is the older brother who's come down. Yeah, fair enough. But you see, even though Violet is there and she's all over George, she wants the George. Yeah. He connects with Mary. Those eyes. As soon as they lock eyes, it, they're, it's connected. They're connected. And unlucky for that guy trying to have a crack at Mary, and he just gets shoved away. This poor guy. <laughs> I mean, I know George is our hero of the story, but come on. What do we say to him? Hey, this is my day. Oh, why don't you stop annoying people? Well, I'm sorry. Hey. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't you stop annoying people? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, take the hint, mate. And we get this classic dance competition. Everyone's just very, uh, very grease, I must say. <laughs> I love, I love it how they're just like, hey, I'm, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> and then <Bam>! immediately <laughs> break out into this perfectly quick dance number in unison. It's yeah. like, come on. <laughs> what the hell's with these two party poopers? They, 
uh, open up the the pool? Like, what was their intention there? Were they to, were they? There? I thought one of them was the guy that it is, was. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing it to well, they, ruin their dance. But I thought it had something to do with his ear. I thought if he's got like he's got a fear of like water, like because he fell in the ice pool and his ear went all deaf. Yeah. I thought this had something to do with like if he falls in there, he's gonna yeah. His ear just, went all said, deaf. I tried to get past him really quick. <laughs> <laughs> you look on your face like no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, good. bit weird. Um, yeah, how. I just thought if he, he had a, a fear of water and if they put him in the pool, he's going to like freak out and maybe embarrass himself in front of Mary. Yeah. He should be embarrassed that uh, they did not realize the floor was moving. What is with everyone? They're, are they screaming when they get close? But they're all cheering and clapping. Well, like, yeah, obviously, obviously, them. George. Standing and, in the way. <laughs> Don't- yeah, obviously, George and Mary think that they're being cheered on. They are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, it's just stupid. They couldn't someone just yell stop. Or- and of course everyone jumps in the pool. <laughs> yeah, that big laugh. At- and even with the two party poopers there who if their intention was to embarrass him or hurt him anyway, when they see everyone jumping, they're like, Well, oh, this is fun, let's do it ourselves. Like it, it turns into a, a big riot here. Actually that gym floor that opens up to a swimming pool is actually real. Yes. It wasn't a fake floor. I did see that. Well, you thought you could have been made? Could have been a set that was made? It's actually a real place at the Beverly Hills High School. Okay. Seems odd. To have the swimming pool underneath the gym? Underneath the the basketball court? like The saving space? Eh, I guess. They don't need the swimming pool in winter. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of this convo as they walk down the street? Between Mary and George? Yeah. Loved it. Really good, wasn't it? Good chemistry. Oh, it's so good. I really like how pervy George is in this. If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. How old are you anyway? <laughs> like, uh, 18? 18? You were 17 last year. <laughs> well, you know what it reminded me of? How we're talking about in the Vertigo uh, breakdown, yeah. how he's playing this. Like, he's an old man in this yeah. with this young girl. Very uh, very creepy. It is a little different here, though. Like, what is he, 2021 here and she's 18? It's not that bad here, as opposed to Vertigo when he's like 50 to a 21-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no. But they do have a good conversation here. We hear about their ambitions and what they want out of the future. And I honestly think the chemistry is very sweet between the two here. You get that obviously famous quote. What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. I'll give you the moon. Then you can swallow it. What? talking about i was like oh this is a very beautiful what what what, what? swallow the moon yeah, just swallow it you dirty bastard but he's little sweet talky he's sweet talk it's really interrupted by some bloke out on his porch what's this guy doing <laughs> what are you this watching like for youth is wasted you think, on the young or you whatever think george is a pervy bastard what's this oh, guy doing what's yeah. he waiting for yeah no no uh prizes for guessing what he went inside to do <laughs> god <laughs> You see that they're throwing rocks at this house to make a wish. Yeah. Originally, when they were going to have Donna Reed throw the rock at the house, they had a guy there ready to shoot the window. So, you know, perfect timing as in case she didn't hit the window. But she was a uh, baseball player in high school. Yeah. So she lobbed that right in there and got it perfect. Yeah, good on her. Just following on from old uh, pervy George boy here. <laughs> How fat is this? He takes her... Oh, he's, he, she loses her rope. Yeah. Innocent, fine. She's hiding naked behind this bush, 
and he refuses to give I it to us. I think he's her. being very like he's being, he's obviously being very playful. He has, oh, he, he does he have is. intentions to give it back. And it doesn't sound like she's being playful. After a little bit, it starts. She's to virtually begging for the robe back, and he's just like, "No, nah, come out naked." <laughs> I'm gonna tell your mum. Oh, she's down the road. You're gonna have to go see her. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. No, I see. I think it is that general playfulness. Like she, I disagree. He would be a villain in today's society. Yes, but it's not a villain. It's not today's society. It's the forties, and you got to look at it like it's a forties film. Obviously, if this was a two thousand and eighteen film, he would probably be arrested pretty quickly. Oh, and then this really touching scene just takes a massive, massive one eighty. Yeah, his dad has a stroke. Yeah, and you can see as well as the old man in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, go on. What can we say? Yeah, you can see that he he gives the gown back straight away. Like, I, yeah. I'm sorry, I got to go. My like, hero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, gets in the car and drives off. And it seems like, well, not seems like it is the last time they see each other for many years. Is it? She goes, but she goes to school. Oh, that's right. She goes to school. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But it cuts to about three months later, and we don't see anything about the dad actually passing away in that. Yep. It just sets up the board meeting where they're trying to basically liquidate the business alone. Fantastic performance from Jimmy Stewart here. Very good, isn't it? Very, very good. Very and I, good. What a very good. What I like about it is it doesn't start out where he's guns blazing. No. He doesn't sit down in that room and start this he meeting. He wants to get out. Thinking, I'm going to stand up here and make a stand. He does not do any of that. He starts out by, yeah, by wanting to leave. He's, he's ready to, he's going he's to college. He's trying to walk out. He's like trying he's, to get on the train gone. to go to college. And it's just the way you see him turn around and, no, I've got to say something. I've got to stand up for these He's folk. got his morals. Yeah, he does. It's, it's this is the situation. Sentimental. That, this is the situation that George finds himself in all the time in this film. He's on the cusp of, of moving on to his dream, doing something, and it keeps pulling him back in. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, <laughs> they, they pull me back in. in. <laughs> No, I just think that, honestly, James Stewart is so believable as this earnest guy. He's just so earnest. Yes. You just cannot imagine him doing anything wrong. Honestly, it's really remarkable. He takes Mr. Potter to town here. He goes off at him, and everyone is so in love with what George did. They want to. They want to keep the business. Yep. And he's got to. He's got to run it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a dilemma. I was like, oh no. And of course he's going to take it. And even the angels say, like, he took the job, didn't he? Of course he took it. It's George. He gives up basically his dream and his life. He and he gives, gives it, it to his brother. Of course. He gives Harry his school money. Yep. For him to go to school. And he goes off and all American football team. And he's then the, he's the yo, star. this scene of Harry coming back from oh. the train station. It's pretty devastating. Yeah. Like, because he, he thinks Harry's going to take over the business and then he's going to go off and live his life. Yes. He's, but, he's, in his mind, he's put his life on hold for four years, whereas Harry has no intention of taking over that life. Like, he's, he comes back married and whilst, whilst George is obviously happy, like genuinely happy for his brother to be happy and this is a nice girl he's mm-hmm. got, at the same time, he's just crushed because his life, oh. You can just imagine he'd be looking looking forward to this point, right? I can do all this. I can put up with this, you know, repetitive business that I'm suffering running. 
because I've got this endpoint, I've got this carrot, you know, that yeah. I can I can see it. I've just got to get to this point. Brother gets off the train and is like, nah, buddy, I'm, I'm not doing it. It's when he finds out about the job offer. That's when he's like, oh, no. Like, yep. he knows he's not going to take over. Yep. And he knows he can't make him. He doesn't He doesn't want to say, no, you need to do this because it's an opportunity of a lifetime. He talks to his wife and it's like, is this like a big deal? Like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is going to set him up. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can't. This is the biggest of deals. Yeah. It was in glass, wasn't it? I think it was in glass. I think it was in glass too, because I'm pretty sure he gets offered uh, plastics later. Yeah, Old Sam Jersey offers boy. plastics. Yeah. What do you think of the hee-haws? Wasn't that like- uh, Terrible. Oh, that- um, don't tell me. Pinocchio? I, I don't know. Uh, probably, but- They turn into donkeys in Pinocchio. But I think that was from like when they were kids. I think I remember them doing that when they were sliding on the, the shovels. Like They were all friends back then, and that's where that came from. So, old hee-haw George. That's, uh, I didn't like it. Yeah, it got annoying after a while. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And like, especially, I think it's basically the last time you see Sam, unless he comes back in the very last scene. I don't remember. But I think it's when he's in the car and he drives away and they do that last hee all yeah. Like, this is grown man now. Like, let it go. <laughs> yeah, this Sam is very uh, obsessed with the hee-haw. Yeah. <laughs> Move on, buddy. <laughs> I did like the use of the background talk where when they're at the train station and George is still standing there thinking about what has happened and you hear idiot old Uncle Billy here like introducing Harry and his wife to this is this is my nephew and this is his wife this is my all-star nephew uh, and this is Mr. and Mrs. Bailey and you and you feel like this is what George wished for like he wanted to have everyone think he was the all-star this is this is Mr. Bailey this is my nephew and just hearing it from a distance while he's like slumming it over here that that and that, that flows in with this whole theme of the movie of not knowing what you've got and not knowing how others think of you. Like, he doesn't realise that they all think that about George already. Yeah. They just he, they just don't say it, you know? Of and course. He just thinks he's not being appreciated at all, which is obviously not true. Exactly. So, you can see George is still, he's very depressed about what's going on here. Goes for a walk down the street. And he- sees a... Uh, He's old Violet. Violet. And Violet's getting uh, basically heckled by all the all the blokes around town. And she loves it, of course. Of course. But she bump, you know, she sees George and she's like, oh, you know. Wants loves to George. bump ugly. Loves, yeah. loves the Georgie D. But then he starts talking about his dream date. <laughs> yeah. This was really funny. <laughs> and she freaks out and everyone is around him. Oh, this is so stupid. That, like, was, when that she, was ridiculous. When she comes over to him, there's really not anyone around. Like, there's no. people walking around the street, but by the end of it, there's a big crowd listening to this story. Laughing She's like, oh, I can't be in barefoot mountain climbing or whatever, and she runs away and it's like... But everyone around him is just uh, laughing at him. Yeah. Like, isn't this the guy that's helping everyone out with their loans and financial problems, son? Isn't this like the saviour of the town? <laughs> you guys are laughing at his dream? Oh, I, I took it as they were laughing at her, to be honest. No, they were, I thought they were laughing at him, like, about his stupid date that he wants to go uh, on. Okay, see, that's where me as a viewer, I'm relating with George, like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Let's laugh yeah. at this stupid floozy oh, okay. who, oh, bare feet, runs away. I was like, ha, 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 you idiot. I thought this was just emphasizing how bad he's feeling. To have everyone laughing at him about yeah, no, what he oh, wants to do. That, yeah. That's obviously what it was. Yeah. That makes sense to the film. <laughs> I just When I watched it, I was, yeah, I was definitely laughing at um, Violet. Yeah, fair enough. But he ends up making his way to Mary's house and he's still this super This is so bummed. funny. This is so funny. What, this conversation between them? Yeah, where Mary, like, pokes her head out the window and says, oh, your mum called, says you're on your way over, and he's just, uh, 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 I'm just going for a walk. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, uh, she clearly knows. Like, there's really no mistaking it here. He's just walking around the front of her house. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. He gets inside, though, and she's drawn this 
this picture of George Lasso in the moon. Yeah. She, she clearly... If that's not a sign to turn around and ve- get out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what is? <laughs> but you see the mum. The mum, oh, I don't know if she can't stand George, but she doesn't want George to like she married. can barely stand herself. <laughs> but there's this, yeah, you see the conflicting, I guess, wants and desires of both of these people. Like Mary wants George. Like that's that's all she wants. She's in love with George. She's been in love with him since she was a kid. Yep. But George... He doesn't want the marriage. He wants to travel. He wants to do stuff. And, and he- more than that, though, he cares for Mary. Yes, right? absolutely. He is angry that she wants to stay in Bedford Falls. Yes. And that's what upsets him here because it, it reminds him of, obviously, how he's feeling. But he wants her to, you've just been to college for four years. What the hell do you want to stay here for? And he gets so angry with her. He has anger issues. He does. Like, massive anger issues. Which comes to fruition later on. Yeah. But they have a big argument and he storms out and then comes back in. Uh, like, it's very weird what they're doing to each other here. She's on the phone to Sam and she's trying to, I guess, make him jealous. Oh. Make, make um, George jealous. Yeah, yeah. But this, this, I don't know, this conversation, because like, they're talking about this plastics deal and you can just say they're not even caring about what he's saying. They're, they're, they're so close to each other. They're, they, they, like, you, you can see it in their face and, and the way they're acting with each other. They're so close to embracing, but he's he he's still reluctant. He starts shaking her, and you can see his frustration still. Like he's he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to get married, I don't want to live here, and he yeah. just he succumbs to it. And then of course the mum just cracks the sads and walks off. Like get out of it, it's not your problem. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with you. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Go away. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, fair play by uh, George macking on with old Mary with the mum watching. <laughs> That's how they do it in the 40s. But apparently, uh, this was actually a much more passionate embrace, mm-hmm. um, and it did get cut down for censorship, so they didn't get that dreaded NC-17 rating, I guess. <laughs> the NC-17 <laughs> in the 40s was all about the kissing. <laughs> but they get married, and they're yeah, about to- Yeah, smash cut to the wedding. I yeah. mean, these people do not muck around. No, nah, we need to- we, We're still- Once they've kissed, they've sealed the deal. We're st- in terms <laughs> of the movie, we're still in flashbacks. Like, we're still trying to get to the point where he's ready to, to die, or he's ready to kill himself. I mean, 80%, 85% yes. of this movie is A, not a Christmas movie, and B, is not what I remembered this movie to be. You know what I was thinking this movie was? I thought it was like like a Christmas carol. Is that the one where they have the three ghosts come yes. down and they take them? Oh, I don't... I know that... <sighs> it's, it's, like the op- it's like the opposite of this, because in this film, they show him what his life... What, what, have we, what would it would be like if he wasn't around? Yep. They, in the other... in. In Christmas Carol, they show him what his life would be like. I don't know. I just know that he's a ghost. Like, no one can interact with him. But here's my point. That whole movie feels like the majority of that movie is this fantasy element. Whereas this one, which is known as a Christmas movie about this whole seeing what your life is like without you, most of this movie is built up. Yeah. Like, this movie is not this little scene at the end, which surprised me. Because the scene at the end is showing you all the stuff that you've seen, all the flashbacks that you've seen in an opposite direction. You know, like, if they had all this stuff really quick the first half an hour, and then they chucked in the next hour and a half of what his life would be like... Oh, it wouldn't mean nearly exactly. as much. Yeah. So, I, I like that you... Because this is this is the story of George. Yeah. And you want this story of George. You want to see his life. You don't need to see... Obviously, we're talking about the smash cut to the wedding. You don't need to see what happens in between. Oh, believe me, I'm not asking <laughs> yeah, for more from I know. this film. This film is too long. Yeah, that is an issue I had to... I think, I think it does stretch its runtime here. 
I nearly bloody fell over when I saw well over two hours this film went for. That's not wasn't that bad. Well I mean. over. It's two hours ten. Oh, it's 12. not like it's a two hour fifty film. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I felt it with this one, you know? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I didn't. knew I knew it was long and I knew there were points in the film where, okay, you could have you could have shrunk that. It could you could have cut it down to under two hours, but it didn't it didn't hinder my experience of the film. But again, going back to the dream is right there and it gets pulled away from him again. They've got the money for their honeymoon. They're ready to go. Oh, this is painful to watch. And he sees all the people out the front of the building alone and the banks. And Mary's telling him, just ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah. But he can't. He can't. He's George Bailey. Nope. He can't. He's got it. He goes in. And I mean, credit, it's Mary who sacrifices the money. Oh, Mary's is a superstar here. Yeah. Like, she could have been a real... What's a, what's a 40s insult? I have no idea. She could have been a real mean lady here and really paid out on her new husband for, I mean, basically cancelling the honeymoon, giving away all their money. But that's the man she married. And it's not also, like she's finding this out right now. Also, it's a sign of the times. The wife... Yeah, okay. The wife's role in the 40s very much was to please the man. I don't mean... Don't give me that dirty, sexy look. <laughs> <laughs> not at the moment, anyway, Hendo. <laughs> but, Jeez. <laughs> But no, like that is like I've seen, I've read some um, things from those times where it's like you know steps for the good wife and what she should be doing. Make sure dinner's on the table. I make thought sure they were this. all joke memes. No, do you take memes seriously? Well, I watch Mad Men and a lot of that. Oh, you is, watch a TV show? I did watch a TV show. A, a lot fictional of fictional TV show. Anyway, you're missing my point. My point is that she is playing this the role of the wife very, very well here. He's the provider. He makes the money. Yes, this is true. Does she not work? I don't think so. She she, she does help out in the war. Yeah, I don't think she. I I don't think she has a job. I mean, how dare you say that? She is a homemaker, the noblest of jobs. The way that they announce their kids in this film floored me. <laughs> it was like, and they had a boy, and then a girl, and then two more came. Later and then two on. more came. I was like, what? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Who are those? <laughs> what a machine! <laughs> But you see, we'll go back. Go right. back. Go, go back, back to, to the business and loans business. Yeah, where he's telling everyone, no, 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 like Potter will win if you do this. Just have faith. And you know, finally they say, okay, we got the money to to give oh, you some. This, this first, first guy. Oh. Oh. <laughs> what? Stop <laughs> it! What a dickhead! Like he's like, okay, and it's like, all right, all right, man. How much? How much do you need? Two hundred and forty-two dollars. Oh, just would you just help us out? I want two hundred forty-two dollars. <laughs> Jeez, I would be like, ah, oh, no, you can bugger off. Yeah. Who's gonna Who's gonna take a twenty? Yeah. I did see that the woman who asked for seventeen fifty that was improvised. Like she just came up with a number, and Jimmy Stewart's improvised reaction was to give her the kiss on the cheek. And luckily, so because we get Mary calling him to come to the the, the their house. new house. I did. Fo- I did like the line that where he's um oh Mrs Bailey's on the phone. Oh no, no I don't want my mama. I want my- oh Mrs Mrs Bailey, that's my, that's my wife. <laughs> Yeah, and this this Mary, I mean, my God, bless her soul, setting this bless her cotton socks, and you got Bert and Ernie here helping out as these chauffeurs and doormen for the new house. Uh, It's 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 very sweet. There's nice music. There's a fire going. There's dinner. There's smoking Mary. How good is the is the chickens on the rotisserie because of the record player? Did you see that? Because of the record player, the record player is spinning, and there's like an elastic band attached to the, (laughs) which is spinning the chickens on the on the fire. Very good. Yeah, that was good. So now we do get a bit of a time jump here. Bailey Park? Bailey Park, yeah. Yes, which was the old cemetery which they took over. Dozens of the prettiest little homes owned by people who used to pay rent to Potter. Yep, so obviously he's a little uh, annoyed, a little pissed. 
Yeah, understandably so. Yeah. And also, it's obvious that George is a much more, I think, smarter businessman. I know he's selling these at a very low price, but to be able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish, I think he's insanely impressive. He's doing. He's not doing it for a whole lot of money, though. Like you see, you see how he had that offer in the plastics, and you see Sam rock up to congratulate him on what he's done. Yeah. But you see, like that, if he'd gone into the plastics, he would have made a ton of money. He would be rich as hell, which means a lot to him. It does, and it means it. It, it means a lot you to see, both you of them. You see, as well, George like way. kick the car after Sam leaves. Yeah, like, after he's... they leave, you see them like they're all happy now, and you gradually see them deflate a little as they go back to their kind of dingy car there. Yeah. But it's again, it's about his morals and the fact that he's making everyone else happy at his expense as well. Yeah. So this is where Potter gets him in. Yep. And offers him a job. Yep. And you can see his smarminess here. He's he's trying to be happy chappy with him. He's buttering him up. Oh, he's playing to George's ego something chronic. Yeah. But calls him a young smart man. Yeah. He can, he can see that he's uh he's starting to fail here a bit. Yeah, he's offering him, you know, basically up from 40 to 45 a week up to th- 380. It's a big jump. It's a It's a big jump. It's an enormous jump. And you saw his reaction dropping the cigar when he hears the number. But the, yeah, that was good. But this stupid reaction of um, George Bailey after he shakes his hand. Slimy. It's just disgust. You know, well, reminded, you know what it reminded me of? Oh, I'd love it if you got it here. It reminds me of Jim Carrey. Yes! My yes! Life. Yes! <laughs> Look at it. He's starting to careful. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I could. I, I had that in oh, my mind. I, just, I saw this, this instant recoil yeah. and looking at your hand like, what am I doing? I yeah. was like... I mean, oh. He's hated this guy since he was a kid. Yeah. And what he did to his dad, like, yeah, of course he sh- shakes his hand and he just looks like, oh my God. He looks at his hand like he's just been handed a chocolate-covered pretzel. Oh, God. <laughs> wow, well, all right. Weird, weird reference there. <laughs> you get it. Yeah, I do. And then he just he goes to town on Potter again, like, no, I, I can't believe I almost fell for this, you you rotten scoundrel. Yeah. Again, I think he should have taken it and helped out. But I don't think that's what he's ways. thinking of. I think he's I think he doesn't want to give Potter the satisfaction of controlling oh, him. Absolutely. Yeah. But this is where we get that montage of kids and kids and war and kids and 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 all these and all these friends go off and do heroic and get, things. We get the voiceover of George as well from twenty minutes before saying all these um, good things that he's going to oh, do when he with gets his home, life. Yeah. yeah, and like all, you can see he's, feel, he's thinking that all of his dreams and that are, are disappearing now, and he's, he's basically set in what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. But back of this montage, you see that his brother saves a whole bunch of people during the war, gets a big medal, sees the president. Like, even some of the smaller people, like, I think it was Ernie, goes and gets a, an award of recognition or something for something in the war. Poor old George is given the, what is it, 4F it's like the lowest of lows when getting drafted. He has to stay home and, and do all like the minor things like, uh, was it rubber sales? And he's like an air raid, uh, person. He's going around, he, he blows the whistle whenever there's going to be an air raid going over. <laughs> like, can you just see like he's, he look on his face. He's like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. Yeah. And this is where we get the current day. Yes. The day before Christmas. Yep. We haven't spoken a lot about Uncle Billy, have we? No. This. The pivotal character. Knobhead. I, oh. This guy is the worst. I mean, he's not the worst. He's the worst in terms of his ineptness. I mean, he's an old man. Why is he still working there? Yeah. Who's his boss? George. There's your issue. But you even get a little hint of just how bad he is. In the the other timeline, he's in an insane asylum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hold on. Billy's not the worst. The worst is Potter. Of course, in terms of like despicable evil. He's reading the paper. He puts the money in there accidentally. Potter takes it. And then, I mean... 
Potatrice have them all arrested and oh, all yeah, this he's, jazz. He's, but- in terms of that, yes, he's the worst. But in terms of just stupidness, Uncle Billy is clearly... Stupidness? Yeah. Do you mean stupidity? I've mixed them both. The irony here is not lost on me. (laughs) (laughs) But good on George for not... Like, he doesn't even let Uncle Billy take the fall. Even when he goes to plea to Potter, he still tells him, like, I lost it, I lost it. Even though Potter knows that it was Uncle Billy. Yeah, I mean... He's still going to take the fall, even though he, like, grabs Uncle Billy around like the neck. He's like, I'm not going to go to jail for this, and just goes goes to town on him. Again, understandable. Yeah. Eight grand back then is an enormous amount of money. It's going to put him in jail. Like that, that's bankrupt the business. He's going to go to jail for this. You can understand his frustration when he be, when he loses his mind. When he goes home? Yes. And he hugs the kid and he's like crying oh. into this kid. I was like, oh, that's, that's really touching. So much so that it is my... Excellent! Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. This... Oh, I was nearly just because, uh, you, you know, as a father, like you, you see these these scenes with dads and their kids and that, and I just think about that. Yeah. Like if that's me, and I just think of me hugging my kid crying. I just it nearly. I was so emotional at that point. I was nearly in tears just thinking about like what would you be doing in that situation where you know you're just destroyed. You're like you, you basically your job's done. You're going to jail. You and. Your, your family's done. Your house is going to go. Your kids are going to like. It's it's devastating. It's and it was so emotional for me. Like it was fantastic. Fair enough. <laughs> and then he gets super angry. Yeah, like crazily angry at his family. He goes down there. He yells at all his kids. Why do we have all these kids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, that's the worst thing no. he's ever said. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> is it? Oh, I mean, it's hilarious. Like it's so mean. Yeah. That's the worst thing he says. Why do we have all these kids? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, and he says it in front of these kids. Like, some of them are old enough to know what he's saying here. But, you know. They're all just doing casual things, though. Like, he goes up and says he's sick kid, gets the pedals, which obviously come back later. He does a nice thing with her, though. Like, he pretends to put them on. He goes, oh, there you go. Instead of saying, oh, this, this rose is dead. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, throw it away. <laughs> yeah. And it's now that we get to my... Excellent! He comes down the stairs. Why <laughs> are you laughing? He comes down the stairs. Oh, is this with he the teacher? Sees, he sees Mary on the phone to the teacher <laughs> and he takes over. This is a man who takes control of his household, I tell oh, you. Oh, dear. What he says to this teacher is so funny. And then when the teacher's husband gets on, and you don't hear the other side no, of the no, conversation, no, no. you him. just hear him carrying on. I just think, this is so funny. Yeah. I was laughing my ass off at this. Like, this is just James Stewart going to town on these people. It's just, cl- it's, it's like classic 40s argument. Like, oh. it's not, it's not offensive in any way. Oh, he's, oh yeah. He's not swearing. No. He's not, he's just, oh, he's on fire. But at the same, for the same token, it just shows how far he has fallen. Just how broken he is by the world and the pressures of life. I really, it, it just worked on a few levels for me. And yeah, I loved it. What about the next part here where he actually goes off at the kids and everyone just like, stop playing the piano, just leave me alone. Yeah. No, what I look like a dictionary to you? That a felt a bit too, uh, and too then, life for me. And then, I was going to say, because yeah, have you had those times where you just, you're in, just, you're in the have fallacy I had mood those times? and you unleash on the kids, like you yell at them and then you realise straight away, like, oh, I should not have done that. All the time. Know, okay. <laughs> what sort of a question is that? The question is, have I ever had those times when I'm not yelling at them? <laughs> Those are the times I look forward to. Yeah. 
it's good to know I'm not in this boat by myself. <laughs> not at all. I think there's a lot of uh, parents out there who can relate. Yes, exactly. But, you know, he runs out the house and he goes to Potter to plea for some help. You know, he's, he's at his lowest of lows now if he's going to Potter. And Potter's just, you know, he's just Potter. Like Tears him to shreds. Yep. And then says he's going to get him arrested. Like, the. You it's could- funny because Potter tells him to go to his riffraff for the money, which ultimately is what saves him. Exactly. It's good. I just didn't. I, I I didn't expect Potter to go this far as to basically commit him to jail. I thought maybe he goes, yeah, I'll give you the loan at like a hundred percent interest or something. Or like, just Why? To- he's got a chance to ruin him here. <sighs> this isn't someone who's not going to take that chance. Yeah, it's a good point. I just want to fast forward for a quick second here. One of the things I don't like about this film is there's no conclusion to Mr. Potter. The last thing you see of him is is Bailey saying Merry Christmas at, at the window and he's like, yeah, Happy New Year from jail and that is the last you see of him. Like, there's no... Yeah, fall from building or something. There's no, there's no like, just fall from grace. Like, no bankruptcy, no nothing bad happens. So you don't see, like, the mob go around and take him down or something. The just mob? Like, the mob. All the people that give him the money. Now let's go, let's go <laughs> kill Potter. <laughs> the angry mob. Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay. That's a, I thought there could have been some conclusion to him because he just gets away with it. He gets away with everything. It's not a nice end. It's not a wonderful ending. Not a wonderful life. No, we got it. <laughs> no, it's not. Personally, I didn't even think of that. Where's the conclusion for the villain? Is he the villain, though? Who else would it be, Dean? The kids, man. <laughs> Those <laughs> damn kids. kids. The piano playing. <laughs> nah. Um, no, yeah. it's the teacher. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get where you're coming from. I just, yeah, he's a villain, but you know, sometimes in life, you don't have to see other people lose for you to win. That's straight from the heart. Sometimes you see see yourself live long enough to become a villain. What? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, (laughs) Hendo. So we see George is at Martinis for a drink, praying to God. Hold on. So the guy who owns the pub, his name is Martini. I believe so. Is that, I do too. Is I'm pretty that sure not because an amazing coincidence. That is right. <laughs> because, like they say, like obviously the the place is called Martinis. In the alternate universe, it's Nick's. Yeah, it's the other bloke. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're right. I think his name is Martini here. You see that he's praying to God here at like at the bar. In the actual scene, Jimmy Stewart was so overcome with emotions doing this that he actually began to cry. And Frank Capra actually reframed that scene and blew it up just that shot because he wanted to to show the raw emotions on his face and the tears. That's why if you'd noticed, probably you didn't because you were watching the color version, but that shot is actually very grainy. But he gets hit by the teacher's husband who's sitting next to him. I mean, come on. That was I know awesome. it's a small town, but... <laughs> that was good. Well, you say that it's a small town. He doesn't even know who George Bailey is. Yeah. He knows he's looking for a Mr. Bailey. Yeah. So, Mr. Bailey? Are you Mr. Bailey? He's not looking for him. But he, he knows... He it happens it's a, to be there. Yeah, but he should know who Mr. Bailey is. And he gets in his car, crashes into the tree. Yep. This poor tree that's been in oh. Bedford Park forever. Yeah. This poor, poor story of this tree copping a scratch. Oh, come on. It's a tree. I think they're basically doing that to set up... The timeline, like the, the car's gone, the tree's not dented, it's still alive. That last little bit of information that we can use for this alternate timeline. Because he does end up at the pier here, the bridge. Yeah, some uh, pretty adult themes here in a film that I imagine would be watched by families. It is a family film. Uh, yeah, Suicide. Mm-hmm. Especially for the 40s as well. Like This is some pretty uh, mature content. It is. But this is where you get our first actual shot of Clarence, who's waiting there for him. Yeah. 
Did you notice a snow in this? Yeah, wasn't it the um, white painted cornflakes? No, it wasn't, D. Good segue. <laughs> they, they did actually used to use white painted cornflakes for snow prior to this film. Ah, that must have been what I was thinking yes. of. Yes, but because it would make a large crunching noise when they walked, they would always have to dub the sound over the actual yep. recording. But obviously, Frank Capra didn't want to do that, and he wanted the sound to be live. So what they ended up using here was a combination of fomite, which is a firefighting chemical, soap and water. And they mix that together and they pumped it through this high-pressure wind machine. Not only do they get snow, but they get cleaner in the process. If you say so. 6,000 gallons of it was used through this film. BC Clarence jumps in before George has a chance to. He's really close to, though. Like You can see him getting on the edge. I mean, maybe I'm just stupid or insensitive, but can you explain to me how... I think I know what you're going to say here. He's going to commit suicide by jumping into the water, right? Yep. He jumps into the water to save someone, and there are no physical effects on him. Does that make... Am I miss... Like, is there a way... Is there a way to jump off a bridge if you want to kill yourself? I think so it's more would, of the... So that you would die? I think of when you're jumping off the bridge to kill yourself, you're just letting yourself go like, this is it, this is are the end. Are you trying to hit, like, head first? Like, again, I, I honestly Well, no, because he know. dives head first into save Clarence. Yeah, but diving has your hands breaking the... I think thing. it's more of the mentality, like, when he dives in to get save Clarence, he's there, like, maybe the adrenaline's pumping for him to save this person. He's, he's, he's on a mission to save him. Whereas if he's going to commit suicide, he's probably just like, this, this is, I'm going to let it go, and I'm just going to... Drown? Yeah, I'm going to jump in the water and get freezing cold and die of hypothermia. Okay. Did you, is that what you thought I would say? I thought that's the question you're asking when yeah, you started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I found it. I found it odd. No, now that I say my answer, I'm pretty confident in my answer. <laughs> what a surprise that you're confident in your answer. He's going to jump in the freezing cold river okay. and stay we in heard there. it. We heard it. Just we in case you didn't. Again. Just in case you didn't. What do you think of this weird reaction that this like Coast Guard had to? Clarence saying that he was an angel. What was the reaction? He like falls off his chair and walks like all, like freaked out by this guy. Oh, it took him a few goes before he finally left. I mean, what's he meant to do? Not act like a weirdo. The weirdo is Clarence saying yeah, but, he's an angel. But he's not like he, he but he backs out like he's going to go and they pull out a gun and kill people. He just He's probably broken out from that insane asylum Billy was in. <laughs> okay, so we get George here. He's really upset. He's all sad. Tells this guardian angel we should never been born. First off, he says, he's talking about committing suicide, and he's like, no, you don't want to commit suicide. Yep. He's like, okay, fair enough. I won't commit suicide, but I just wish I wasn't born. And he's like, okay, click. Yeah. You know what? He's like, and obviously throughout this whole thing, George is like, yeah, okay, whatever you say, mate. Did you like, get any, like, Mr. Destiny vibes to this? Mr. what? Don't act like you don't know what it is. No, uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory. I, th- I, feel, I feel like it's an obscure film you made me watch uh, a while ago. You know exactly what this film is. Are you saying that Mr. Destiny, is that, if that's what it's called, is a rip-off of It's a Wonderful Life? I'm saying it pays. Can you explain to everyone out there what Mr. Destiny is? Because I'm sure there'd be just Shane who knows what Mr. Destiny is. <laughs> uh, Mr. Destiny is a film from the 80s starring... You don't even know which Belushi. James? <laughs> James Jim? Belushi? Jim Belushi? John? No, it's not John. Jim Belushi. Um, and Michael Caine. And it's basically about a man who's not happy with his life. He meets his guardian ang- angel, played by Michael Caine, and he wishes that his life was different, and snap of the fingers, wish comes true. Yeah, the difference between this film and that film is this film sets up every character in it, until this point where you get this backstory, what you get in Mr. Destiny starts off straight away. You get five minutes of Jim Belushi oh, so you do being, know a do- being a douche. I thought you didn't remember what the film was. Nah, you sparked my memory when you said that, you know, elaborate plot about the, the It's a Wonderful Life ripoff. 
Didn't they meet in a bar? Isn't it, isn't it like a bar too? Yeah, they met at the bar. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. No, the difference between Mr. Destiny and It's a Wonderful Life... Is one is good, one is bad. Is that one is really, really good. <laughs> and the other one is called It's a Wonderful Life. Wow. <laughs> Send your hate mail to Dean. <laughs> okay, back to the good film. So, after Michael Caine leaves the bar... <laughs> All right, bring it back in, Dean. Okay, what do we got? Uh, so, okay, let's get into the, you know, the big... What would have been? Big segment of it. Yeah, the what if, right? And a lover of, uh, I guess, time jumping, a bit you of... You do love the what playing. ifs? Yeah, I do love the what ifs. The retrospective kind oh, of... Oh, I love them. <laughs> oh, you love them. I really like this stuff. It like, is all good, isn't like it? Like, going back and, you know, like, having everything that's happened in the movie virtually pay off. yes. You know, exactly means something more than yes. it meant at the time is really really clever. I like how they they gradually go from the big re- the bigger reveal to the bigger reveal. Like they start off, oh yeah, this is the you start off with the car. It just yeah. happened, and then you go into Mister Gower and and Martinis is now yep. Nick's. Just those yep. little things, and you know, transitions into Violet. How she's now a she's an escort. Uh, she's a lady of a, the night, exotic dancer, like one of those. And then like the big ones get revealed, like. His mum doesn't know who he is. He finds out his uncle I mean, Billy's in so the insane stupid, asylum. Yeah. What do you mean? I mean, he has seen so much. He's being force-fed, like, what is happening? He goes to his mum and he's still just shocked. He does it with Mary as the last one. Yeah. He's shocked. That, well, you would not be shocked. I would have accepted it after <laughs> I went into Nick's. I would have been like, ah, my guardian angel's right. Right, okay. But again, like you said, everything pays off here. His brother died when he was young, fell on the that, ice pool. That was rough. Yeah. That was... I was like, damn, I'd I'd forgotten about that. And not only that, but then all the soldiers in the war who he yeah, saved. I know, well. yeah. like all these bombings that he prevented, yeah. like all because of George. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's important. One of my favorite bits, though, of this whole thing is, is a creeper George on Mary when she comes out of the library and he's like, Mary, Mary, oh. and she's like, get away from me, and he's yeah. chasing her down. The, like, yeah. At that point, you should have realized this is not my world. Maybe I should stop doing this. Yeah. Oh, and you even get Bert and Ernie, of course. He sees his house. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny. Just the Did casual you just picture it? Did Bert and Ernie. You- oh, hi. Hi, Bert. Is, it, is that James Stewart? It is James Stewart. That's the oh. only voice I do. <laughs> oh, hey, Bert. Oh, hey, Ernie. Oh. Oh, oh, hey, Bert and Ernie. Hi, I'm Bert. Hi, I'm Ernie. I don't know. No, that was terrible. Oh, gee, George, looks like your house is gone. That's not bad. That's not bad. No, what I was getting to. When he's walking down the street... And instead of it being all like the pretty snow and the the nice, you know, small shops lining, it's all these flashing lights, neon signs. You know what it made me think of? What? It made you think Go of- on. I reckon you'll get this. Uh, it's definitely from uh, Biff Tannen. In- yes! Yes! <laughs> I was just like, is this Back to the Future 2? <laughs> I've nailed two of those today. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah, but this is all he needs to see to realize what his life means to himself and to everyone else around him. Yeah, he runs back to the bridge. He's he's calling out to Clarence, to God, like, I want to live, I want to live. And then you can see the change. The the snow starts coming down again, and then the blood appears on his face. He's back in his he's back in his real world. And he goes berserk. He loves it. He's he's high on life. He is. And he rushes through the town. He's just saying, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas to everyone. Does he say Happy New Year? I think he says Happy New Year to Potter. Okay. Or maybe he doesn't. He says Merry Christmas. And Potter, <laughs> Potter says Happy New Year in jail. Okay. Yeah. He gets home and even though the, the bank's there, he's like, yep, I know, no, I know. Yeah, that was weird. They're waiting and like, for him. Mary's upstairs. Like these, these guys. No, no, Mary's not even there. Okay. The kids are upstairs yeah. then. And these men are just hanging out in yeah. his living room. Like, God. 
That's the 40s. And here's a nice touching moment right at the end here where Mary's rallied everyone she could get. They all give him the money they need to cover that $8,000. More so. Yeah, I would say more so. Sam wires $25,000 to him as well. I'm not sure he wires 25000 I think he says that there's twenty five available if he needs it. So he gets it. Well, does he need it? Would you? He gets it. <laughs> He'd definitely get it. It is the way he wants it. <laughs> well, good, he good, gets good, it. Good little callback. <laughs> yeah, and we, uh, I guess we find out Clarence gets his wings. A little ding. And it all ends on such a very happy note. To my big brother George, the richest man in town. Yeah, of course. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life? All right. For me, biggest thing, what a great message. Am I right? One we all need to remember from time to time. It's so easy to take for granted every great thing we have and focus on all the negatives. This movie really emphasizes, in no uncertain terms, that we just can't afford to forget the power and value of love and friends. It's a great message, a timeless message, and one told in a pretty good film. Jimmy Stewart could not be more perfect in this role. He is innocent when he has to be, but also plays a scarily convincing, angry and frustrated (laughs) man. Brilliant performance. Carries the entire film. And the story is pretty great too. As we've said, I love all the retrospective what-if sort of stuff, so I was very much on board for it. The fantastical element of it in the endgame works wonderfully. It's a feel-good Christmas movie, and I can see why it's been such a long-lasting film. It's dated, obviously... And it does run far too long for, for me personally, but I felt the colours were vibrant enough to keep me going. <laughs> no, no, no. In all seriousness, though, It's a Wonderful Life is a touching film. And I don't love it in the one of the greatest of all time classics that it is generally known for. I mean, it's, not, it's not a five-star banger for you. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. No, no it's not. Um, but I understand the appeal. It is a very, very uplifting film. Yeah. What are your final thoughts, Hendo? You mentioned the Jimmy Stewart surprisingly plays a like a scary kind of man. Did we not see that in Vertigo? Yes. Yes, we did, but when you see when you see his character here at the start, how earnest he is, it was much more shocking. Whereas in Vertigo, okay, yeah. Like the change of his character in this film is extreme and I was not expecting it in this film. Whereas yeah. in Vertigo, he's basically he's kind of He's like on edge. Yeah, he's yeah. on edge the whole time. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Uh well, I love this film. Uh, it's a wonderful, uplifting film with an amazing story told so fluently and it's acted so damn well from everyone involved, especially, like you said, James Stewart and even Donna Reed. I thought she was really good in her role too. I think this was her first film role. It was, it was. I mean, it's captivating from start to finish. It, it harnesses you in from the get-go as you follow the life of George Bailey. With the knowledge of what's coming up for him, you get to see the issues and choices he makes that leads him to that moment. It does hit some pretty dark moments along the way, but that just serves to make the ultimate highs pay off even more. It really makes you put your own life into perspective and how not to take anything for granted and appreciate life because every day is a great day. It certainly made me feel like that. I do agree with you. It's not a five-star banger for me either, but I definitely, definitely love the film. It's very high up there. Okay, very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Right, Dean, where does it sit on your rankings? All right, so It's a Wonderful Life is the 28th film I'm adding to the list. And for me, it's going to go in kind of the bottom third. I'm going to start at number, well, let's start at number 21 for me, Vertigo, another James Stewart movie. For me, it is better than Vertigo, better than Wild Tales, better than Paths of Glory as well, which is the current 19. That's where we hit, uh, for me, what is a bit of a jump. We get the prestige 
followed by Beautiful Mind and Django. So for me, it's actually going to sit in between The Prestige and Paths of Glory. So It's a Wonderful Life for me is the new number 19. What about you, Hendo? Right, well, I'll start at the same spot you did in regards to the movie. Let's pit it against Vertigo. I do agree with you. I think that it is better than Vertigo for me. It is better than Once Upon a Time in America. And I, I think it is better than Logan, but I don't think it's better than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So I'm going to put It's a Wonderful Life at number 15 on my list. Very good. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws? which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes. I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, how about Bewitched at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle at a towering 93%? Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show, to get our name out there, and there are a couple of ways you could help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and all the other podcast catches you can search for. We're probably on there. And hey, if you find one we're not on, let us know so we can fix it. You can contact us on Twitter at IMDB Journey, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash IMDB Journey, our Letterboxd page at letterboxd.com slash IMDB Journey, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, then why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down other films not on the IMDb Top 250. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Kendo? Well, Dean, we've just finished our Die Hard series recently, so we've got a patron-requested review from Shane, of course, and we are breaking down Midnight Express. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. Hello! Do you like having your podcast interrupted by promos? Probably not. So we'll keep this brief. My name is Chris. My name is Mike. And my name is Justin. And we just wanted to introduce ourselves. We're the Casual Cinecast. We're a weekly podcast that reviews current movies and TV, as well as the occasional dive into classic cinema with the Criterion Collection. We cover everything from Black Panther to Black Narcissus. From Solo to Sallow. From Love, Simon to Simon of the Desert. If that sounds good to you, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you there. You know, or, or something, because we probably won't actually yeah. see you. But Yeah, we don't see them when they listen. Right, well, okay. Uh, well, back to your podcast. Okay, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. Uh... 
And we've got a couple of reviews for It's a Wonderful Life. Everyone must be in that festive spirit these days. <laughs> well, that's the idea, isn't it? That's right. Let's take a look over at Twitter here. First one here from Kevin Brackett. A classic. Crazy to think that it failed at the box office and only later became popular because of all the stations that played it when it went into the public domain. Do you, hear, do you know about that? Yeah, I saw that someone made a little uh, clerical error and anyone could play it and broadcast it whenever they wanted up until I think it was about the 70s. No, I think the cl- I think the classification like the cl- like the era that they had happened in the seventies and people played all oh, the, okay. up until like I think it was like the mid nineties maybe. Yep, yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's how basically everyone got to see it for free a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and basically how it became a staple in Christmas lore. Hmm. One here from Kate. I think I'm the only person on the planet that hates this movie. I mean, how do you hate this movie? I'm almost certain. That you're not the only person who hates this movie. <laughs> okay. I think I've got a review coming up here. Here's one from Michael Dean. Watched this for the first time last year and absolutely loved it. Nothing could prevent the waterworks from pouring down my face. I was a mess. Now it's one of my all-time favourites. Gee, I'm normally pretty prone to uh, turn on the waterworks in movies. I uh, wasn't feeling it this time. Okay, fair enough. Did you? Said that I almost got there. So you're like the, I'm, I'm prone to not cry. You turn it on like at the drop of a hat. So the fact that you didn't even come close and I was super close says a lot about this film for me in particular. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Uh, from the Feelin' Film Podcast, my favourite. Big call. Talent like it is. One here from the Epic Film Guys, an utter and complete masterpiece minus its framing device. I really hate the talking stars. Same as you. Yes. Thank you. They really, really, they just don't fit the film for me, Nick. And our last one here on Twitter from Jimmy Roberts. Overrated, overlong, overplayed. I always thought it was his own fault that the money went missing. I know it's not his fault, but he should have been more careful with what I imagine is about a hundred grand today, and he doesn't pay much attention to it. Thoughts? It's not his fault. It's Billy's fault. Like, he cannot do everything. Billy is a trusted employee who has... Almost was almost running it at one point and has been doing so, working with him for decades. Thank you for your reviews on Twitter there, everyone. But let's go over to our email and we've got... Shane! All right. Some movies can stand the test of time. But for me, this is one movie well past its use-by date. On display here are things of small and simple nature. A small town where all its inhabitants seem to know each other. Protagonist George Bailey is tested as money problems pile up and he wishes to undo everything building up in his life up to that point. Cue a lesson from his guardian angel that he doesn't really mean that, especially not if he gets to see the true consequences. This movie is a bore. How dare you. Jimmy Stewart's on-screen portrayal is about the only thing of interest in this film. There is an antagonist, a wealthy businessman who Bailey despises, but the film never really fleshes that conflict out preferring to focus on supernatural developments, which lead to some Christmas Eve carols. If this film was realistic for its time, I don't know. But in its present state, It's a Wonderful Life is a cartoonish depiction of human beings with naive sentiments that have little impact. Too boring for kids, not enough humour for adults, and any iconic Christmas movie status this film has seems unwarranted. Pathetic review, Shane. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) What? Too boring for kids, yes, okay, for today's kids, for sure. Okay. Not enough humour for adults. Does every movie need to be funny? No, it doesn't. I, I yeah, I disagree. I, I, I do agree with you, Shane, in regards to the, the conflict between Potter and Bailey and how that doesn't get resolved. Of 
already mentioned that, but no, everything else, uh, I think you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> but thank you, as always, Shane. As always. We do appreciate the review. All right, now it's time for... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you is, what is your favorite film about Christmas? From the Trailer Junkies podcast, Mix Nuts is underrated. How can you go wrong with a Nora Ephron redemption tale? Am I remembering this movie right? i got to go watch it again. I haven't seen Mixed Nuts. I haven't heard of it. It's a Steve Martin film. I know uh, Adam Sandler was in it, like super young. I think it was even before Billy Madison. Jesus. Yeah. All right, next up from Gritty Films, I've got to go with A Christmas Story, movie neither of us have seen. Yes. Despite uh... <laughs> getting weirdly popular and way overplayed for a while there, it's just the best. I haven't watched it in several years, but plan to watch it this year while wrapping presents. Fair enough. Yes, uh, anyone who has listened to So I Married a Movie Geek and their 1983 movie draft will know that I have not seen A Christmas Story. <laughs> the Film Inquiry Podcast Network said It's a Wonderful Life is a must-watch every year. The GOAT Christmas film. From In Session Film, Charlie Brown Christmas. You seen that one? No, I you no, haven't seen any Charlie Brown. Yeah, I know. I remember talking to you Charlie about Brown. <laughs> Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. Yeah, I remember talking to you about Peanuts and you, you didn't know what I was talking about. Oh. That's, that's baffling. Baffling. From Ben Sutter III, A Christmas Story. From I Am Geek, Christmas Vacation. It never gets old. Kevin Kendrick says, Christmas Vacation is my favourite by far. So many fun memories watching that movie with friends and family. From Carolina, it's not Christmas for me unless I watch Home Alone. From Ian Bullocklock, besides the usual favourites, I'm going to mention one that's probably not that well known. Joe Swanberg's Happy Christmas. Oh, he's not wrong. Never heard of it. (laughs) From the Brook Reading Podcast, Fred Claus is one of the best modern Christmas movies ever made. It's a new classic in my house. Happy holidays. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Fred Claus. No, me neither. <laughs> From Hello, It's Lee you're looking for, Jingle All The Way. It's never a completed Christmas without a rewatch of the Arnie classic. So many one-liners from this film alone. From the No Offense Show, It's A Wonderful Life. Every year I watch it to the light of the tree with a big dark beer and end up with a wet face. Don't judge. We're not. And our last one here from Chris. Surviving Christmas for sure. One of the most underrated Ben Affleck movies ever. It's like Geely with tinsel. (laughs) Thank you very much, Chris. And to everyone else who put in an answer. But Dean, it is time to get to our top five films about Christmas. And as always, we start with you, Dean. What is your number five? My number five is Jingle All The Way. Really? How can you not? How can you not love this movie? It's not on my list. My number five is Bad Santa. Yeah, I don't really remember it, which tells me I don't really think much of it. You can't say that. How long ago did you watch it? Years. Right, and if there's a a lot of films you've probably seen years and years ago that you've forgotten, but it doesn't mean it's a bad film. Okay. My number four is Home Alone 2. Okay, didn't make my list either. Okay. My number four is Elf. Really? Yes, really. My number three is It's a Wonderful Life. Okie doke. My number three is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Really? Oh, I love that film. Hilarious. My number two, Elf. Yes. Waiting for it. Yes. My number two is Home Alone. A fine choice. Fine enough to be my number one. Of course, yes. Waiting for it there. And my number one is, of course, It's a Wonderful Life. Of course. And for next week's question of the week, considering it is coming out at the very end of the year, we're going to ask you, what is your most anticipated film of 2019? And that will be our top five for that week too. Hmm. Should be interesting. Yes, it will. All right, let's get into the results of our Pod v Pod 11 movie draft that we had against Stu and Andy from the Ghosts of the Stratosphere podcast. 
where we drafted non-Disney animated films. And just to recap here, we had Spirited Away, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, How to Train Your Dragon, The Lego Movie, and The Land Before Time. And the ghosts had Iron Giant, Shrek, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Mask of the Phantasm, and Akira. And let's take a look at some responses here. And it was a blind draft, so we were, in fact, Team 1. Yep. And Ghost of the Stratosphere was Team 2. So let's take a look at some responses here. Shaker Not Nerd said, Ghost of the Stratosphere solely for Mask of the Phantasm. A podcast about something says, Ghost of the Stratosphere demolishes IMDb Journey, and I haven't seen all of the ghost movies. Mask of the Phantasm, Shrek, and the hype for Spider-Verse is way better than anything IMDb Journey brings to the table. How dare you? (laughs) A mad scientist says, having recently seen Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, nothing can beat it animation-wise, so the ghosts have it. From Super Movie Bros, Ghost of the Stratosphere, Mask of the Phantasm, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, plus Akira, Nerdgasm, I love South Park and How to Train Your Dragon too, but I'm hot on that new Spider-Man right now. Seems to be a recurring theme. The Movie Drone Podcast says, South Park wins hands down. From I used to watch this, IMDb Journey, only because How to Train Your Dragon is one of my favourite animated movies. Hits all the sweet spots. And a last one here from Delvin Cox. The ghost for Into the Spider-Verse and Mask of the Phantasm alone. Then you add in Akira, and you got three incredible films that are also very diverse. Hmm. Thank you very much for all your responses, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everyone. But let's take a look at the results. 72 votes later... It's a bloody tie. It could not separate us. 50% each. So there you go. What that, do you do? We were getting exactly. smashed pretty early on. Oh, looking at the early results, we were sitting at like a 31-ish. Yeah. yeah uh, and I don't know. We rallied. We rallied. Twitter uh, found their brains on this one, I think. Oh, not enough, though. <laughs> not enough. Well. No, so since we tied in the last game and we both won a game apiece, it's our third tie. A 1-1-1 one, one, one tie. Which is great because it sets us up for a, a uh, epic rematch. A third epic rematch that we've got <laughs> in the books coming up. All right, so that means this week is our grand final in our best 1940s film tournament. Epic. Yes, it's a long time coming, this one. <laughs> and, of course, the matchup is the number one and the number two seed here. The movie we just spoke about, It's a Wonderful Life, against the number two seed, Casablanca. So we'll put that poll out on Twitter about 24 hours after the episode, and you guys can vote on which film is going to win the 1940s portion of our best film per decade tournament. So, what's next? All right, Dean, it's time to find out what we're going to be watching next time. I'm very excited. This will be the most exciting part of the podcast now for me. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out if I if I try and play some puns into what I'm about to say. I, it's it's not even worth it. The film I'm choosing to watch is a personal favourite of mine and is a film that I think you are lukewarm on. It's Rocky. All right. Well, it will be interesting for me to go back. I haven't watched this in many, many years, so let's see if we can heat up that reception I have to it. Absolutely. I hope that we can. We shall see. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Dean, watched anything recently that we're going to be talking about next week? We, uh, we did mention uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely saw that, which I'm looking forward to speaking about. Also saw one of the hottest movies for the Oscar season, Roma, which is available on Netflix. 
Yep, I shall be watching that very soon, coming up. And I also had a chance to catch the latest Lars von Trier film, The House That Jack Built. Thank you, Dave. So I'll be talking about that as well. Well, I got a chance to see the new Michael Moore documentary, Fahrenheit 11.9. 11.9? Yeah. No, the the first one was Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh. And it's Fahrenheit 11-9 because that- It's a sequel. Yeah, 11-9 was actually the date that Trump got uh, put into office. Oh, is that what it's about? Yeah, it's it's about that. Oh, I had no idea. I thought it was a um, 9-11 doco. No, that's Fahrenheit 9-11. Makes sense. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll talk about those films next week, uh, along with everything else we watch along the way here. Next week's guest will actually be Dave from the Super Movie Bros. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to uh, having him on as a guest. Yeah, it should be a good time there. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and listening to another episode of our podcast. We will see you next week for Pod V Pod 12. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.